Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Today on Political Rewind, will new minority appointments by Governor Kemp help the GOP engage Georgia's Hispanic and African-American communities? Will Democrats soon have a second candidate in the race for the U.S. Senate? And how is California looking to compete with the Georgia tax credits that have made our state one of the country's most important production centers? Political Rewind starts now. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Glad to have you all with us uh, for the show today. Uh, let's get right to introducing the panel, start talking about the issues at hand. Jim Galloway, lead political writer for the AJC, is here, as he always is, on Mondays and Fridays. He uh, is in the paper on Wednesdays and Sundays, when in a little while we're going to talk about a column that you've just posted online, but that will appear in the Dead Tree edition of the paper on Sunday. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing ready to, ready to go at it. Yeah, I understand that. You're, and you're also, you told me you're getting your house cleaned up, your basement particularly, oh, for got, family we've got, we've coming in from Ohio. Yeah, we've got cousins coming. This weekend. We, don't, we never get cousins. Going <laughs> <laughs> to take them to the aquarium, Jim? No, no, we're, okay. we're taking him to Cartersville. <laughs> I got it. Uh, Belita Easters is here with us, too. She is the founder and director of the Georgia Win List. Happy Bel to be here. Melita, you recruit uh, female candidates who are pro-choice Democrats to yes. run for offices uh, here in Georgia. And you, at, once again, are starting to line up a lot of women to Absolutely. run in the 2020 cycle. Yeah, We have some wonderful women in the wings waiting to run. All right, we'll talk a little about that as the show goes on. Patricia Murphy is with us. Patricia used to be a staffer on Capitol Hill working for Sam Nunn, for Max Cleland when they were in the United States Senate. She is now a columnist, syndicated columnist, whose columns appear in Roll Call, The Daily Beast, and for fun, to write about culture, you're now contributing to Garden and Gun, one of the best magazines. Just Thank a great you. Thing. Yeah. Thank you. I love Garden and Gun. I also have a new puppy. I'll be entering him in the good dog contest for Garden and Gun. Everybody vote. Okay, what's the name Sailor. of this puppy? Sailor. Sailor, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Tannenblad, you don't have a new dog, do you? No, we have an old dog. An old dog. But a yeah. loving dog. <laughs> Eric Tannenblad is a Republican insider. Among other things, he has worked uh, with uh, presidential candidates from George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, uh, Mitt Romney back in the day. You are one of the most prolific fundraisers in the Southeast, and it's always a pleasure to have you here, Eric. Well, thanks for having me. And we owe you a congratulations because you have had, you just graduated your second son. Nope. First, your first, first I'm sorry, first. that's right, your first. Yes. From um, Dartmouth. Dartmouth, congratulations. Thank you. All right, get all the pleasantries aside, let's talk politics. Jim Galloway, the um, governor, made two appointments this past week. And, the, you know, one is the acting insurance commissioner, because we've got an insurance commissioner under indictment. And, and the other is uh, for Cobb County, for DA in Cobb right, County. Right. Now, neither of those are offices that we'd normally spend a great deal of time on. 
But they're interesting for other reasons this time, aren't they? They're, re they're, they're interesting because they both kind of cut to the core of Brian Kemp's and the Republican Party's current demographic problems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got John King, who is the police chief. Right, you can't tell it by his name, but he is born in Mexico. Yeah. He's also a brigadier general in the National Guard. He's got no, no, uh, uh, no experience in the insurance business, but nonetheless, he's going to be the acting state insurance commissioner, replacing a suspended Jim Beck, who's yeah. uh, facing some federal charges. Yeah. Uh, and the interesting thing about this one is that uh, he has a relationship with the Georgia Association of, of uh, Latino elected officials, which has, for the for the last five or six years, has been kind of a a, uh, a death sentence for any anybody who wants to make make any gains in the Republican Party. Yeah, let's we'll, uh, let's get to, let's in a second get to that. Let's say that uh, Patricia, first of all, uh, John King, police chief in Doraville, he's a, he's been there quite a while. He's I worked with. John, when he when I was at the Anti-Defamation League, because John was very involved in fighting extremism, in dealing with bullying in his town. He was always somebody who I think had the respect of the community. So he's a fascinating guy. And here's Brian Kemp's effort to reach out to the Latino community. I think it's a great pick, honestly. For Kemp needed to do something like this, I think, to start to soften up his edges and look more inclusive and look like a governor of the entire state and not just the Republican Party. Somebody like John King, who is, um, I think, known to be quite apolitical, actually. Yeah. He, has a, he has a background as a detective and in fighting organized crime, which I think will be helpful with the insurance industry. Uh, no offense to the insurance industry. Um, but John King uh, made some new local news uh, in 2017 because he reached out to illegal immigrants, mm -hmm. undocumented immigrants in Doraville because he was finding that all of the press about ICE and immigration raids uh, was not only having uh, resulting in fewer crimes being reported by the immigrant community, also some parents were afraid to show up to the bus stop. Yeah. So John King reached out to that community, met with them out of uniform, and told them, we are not going to arrest you at your kid's and, bus stop. And that's one of the first things to say, Eric, about John King. He's, having done that sort of thing, having been that sort of uh, police chief, it's interesting that a Brian Kemp, who ran for governor and, among other things, had a commercial with this message. See if we can get that up. I got a big truck, just in case I need to round up criminal illegals and take them home myself. Yep, I just said that. So, Eric. Uh, he's hired a guy who uh, has appointed a guy, at least temporarily, who uh, goes out of his way to work with undocumented uh, peoples and uh, make them feel more comfortable. And as Patricia said at the outset, I think it was a it was a great pick. And I think you're seeing Brian Kemp, the governor. He's now been elected as our governor. He's the governor for the entire state. And I actually, uh, you know, think it's refreshing that we don't just go back to the good old boy network, especially in the insurance industry, where there's been a cadre of people that have pretty much controlled the insurance department, and to pick someone uh, of his background. So I applaud the governor for what he did. Yeah, Melita, um, the Hispanic community uh, is is often uh, we don't necessarily think of them as all voting democratic. I mean, they're they're you know, kind of swing that, voters true. at times. They, they what, are swing voters. So what does voters. this mean for Brian Kemp that he's uh, reached out like this? I think it's an interesting, smart move on his part. Obviously, um, 
John King is is a very well qualified man. Um, he um, not only worked with crime prevention, but he tried to hire bilingual police officers mm -hmm. and make sure that two languages were represented in his police cruisers. So he's sort of a poster child for the GOP to create at least an illusion of a bigger tent. Yeah. And But I also think that his master's degree from the Army War College means that he's at least pretty darn smart and he'll be able to get a handle on the insurance commission office which is a place that badly needs to be cleaned up well because Georgia has some of the highest auto insurance rates in the nation and and the insurance companies have basically just extended the stick and told the in past two insurance commissioners how high to jump with the kinds of laws that 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 they now operate under and so there's a lot of room for him to do a good job because there's so much improvement needed all right now jim that brings us to the next level of this interesting appointment you pointed out that john king has a relationship <coughs> with galeo the uh, georgia association of elect latin elected officials um, we've seen a history here where Republicans, Republican leaders, have been very uncomfortable with anyone associated right. with Galeo. Right. We had the case of uh, Dax Lopez, a uh, DeKalb County uh, a state court judge who had been nominated to, 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 a, to a federal district judge. Uh, David Perdue deep-sixed it after after he got some flack from from people like Cobb County Sheriff Neil Warren, uh, Butch Conway over in, in Gwinnett, I believe, and uh, D.A. King, of course, the the the, uh, the immigration activist, uh, and they and and so they backed away uh, uh, from him. Uh, in fact, Kemp Kemp passed on Lopez just uh, just three weeks ago for a superior court judgeship after those same people raised those those objections. I think this is. What this does is it kind of it kind of negates that 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 uh, contingent of, of the uh, state GOP or state GOP. I think um, it it has been fascinating to watch that. Eric Melita said something interesting, and I want to give you a chance to uh, comment on it, uh, and then you should jump in too, Melita. Uh, Melita said this at least creates the appearance of his trying to diversify and and reach out to other communities. But the minute you actually make an appointment to a constitutional office, even though it's temporary for the time being, uh, it's not the appearance anymore. It's a fact. I'm glad you just pointed that out. I mean, I think that's, you know, that, that's a nice little slight. You know, he is the governor. He has the right to make the appointment. He made the appointment. And he appointed a credible person. And he gets the credit for it. And well, so we need to give him the credit for Lita? it. I mean, that's basically we'll, correct, right? We'll give him right? the credit, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> but you're, you also need to balance the credit with the idea that he's been given a very, very difficult job. And, and like in the past, sometimes you would see corporate boards appoint a woman CEO of a major corporation, which was the equivalent of handing her the steering wheel after the Titanic hit the iceberg. <laughs> the Insurance Commission office and operations in this state is a little bit like that iceberg that John King is now being asked to steer. But, you know, the, but the most important thing about this was that one of the qualifications for, for, for his selection is a willingness to be on the ballot in 2022. Right. With, right. with the governor. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Patricia, here's the other thing that I wanted to mention in, in that regard. Uh, it seems to me in some ways Eric and Melita are both making important points here. We, we saw in his 
uh, primary campaign particularly that Brian Kemp was very tough about uh, undocumented immigrants. And we still don't know where he's going to go on that issue in legislative sessions to come. So to some extent, both Eric and Melita are right. We don't know what this says about how he's going to deal with uh, the immigrant community uh, now that he is governor. Well, I think we had a full legislative session pass without any big headlines. And, uh, about governor, on immigration. On, excuse yeah. me, yeah. on immigration. <laughs> to make plenty of headlines. Yeah. And he was not afraid yeah. to start checking off the boxes on his campaign promises. Well, that's why I'm And the immigration piece of it is a place that was noticeably absent. Yeah. Very little energy or attention paid to that. So as much as he wanted to or tried to or did make it um, a huge theme in his campaign, it really didn't play out that way during the legislative session when he had every opportunity to do it. And somebody like John King is like an actual real human being. I mean, yeah. he is a real deal well-charactered, well-qualified person who's not going to get led away in handcuffs, for one thing, but then also has an opportunity to really do some favor for Kemp on the ballot in uh, 2022 if it ends up going in that direction for him. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to watch how that unfolds. Uh, but I think it's interesting around this table, Democrat, Republican, uh, journalists, all, I think John King is a stand-up guy, and we're going to watch to see how he performs in this job. Uh, we also... Uh, her, got the first African-American female appointed in the uh, Kemp administration up there in Cobb County. Well, I mean, well, not the first uh, African uh, to, to not the first African American female to any appointment because no, no. Because, but 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 he did name uh, uh, the governor did name uh, Joyette Holmes yeah. as uh, as as Cobb County DA replacing Vic Reynolds. She is the first African American to hold the position and the first woman. And what I should have said is it's a first for somebody in Cobb County. Absolutely. Which is, tell us why that's so important. Okay, well, first of all, of course, for the last two cycles, Cobb has been a blue county, not yeah. a red county, yeah. as, it's, as, it has, as it had been since, uh, since the late 1970s. And next year, uh, in 2020, you're going to have every countywide official up for re-election. Uh, more than likely, you will have a chairmanship race between the Republican incumbent Mike Boyce and Lisa Cupid, Cupid uh, the African American uh, County Commit District Commissioner. She's already uh, announced. She's already in there, and she's already campaigning. This would give this gives this gives a, a kind of a, a demographic balance, at least, to the county, uh, to, to the ticket. Melita, I'm a little skeptical about how much impact an appointment of uh, 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 Judge Holmes means in terms of turning the balance in Cobb County? Well, because judicial races are nonpartisan, it, it won't tip the scales that much. But I will say that she is an appointment who has been applauded by both Democrats and Republicans. She has former Justice Robert Benham as a mentor and also the first African-American woman president of the state bar. Patrice Perkins Hooker as mentors. So if she I could has just make cred. just a quick cor correction, uh, um, uh, Judge Holmes was the chief magistrate, magistrate in Cal judge. which is a partisan position, okay. as is oh, okay. the as is okay. the DA's office. Nevertheless, she has bipartisan judges. support. You're telling right. us. I did not know that Benham was um, had been had been supportive of her. He had been. That's he was, interesting. He calls her a mentee, and she. She acknowledged him and some of the press about her. So, one of the, Patricia, one of the things I'm asking though is uh, just how malleable is Cobb in terms of being a Democratic or Republican county anymore? And if, in fact, 
those of us who are cynical about appointments like this think that these are done for politics. How much will the appointment of Joyette Holmes mean for Republicans in trying to win victories in Cobb County? Well, it doesn't mean the presidential candidate is going to win Cobb County all of a sudden uh, for Republicans. I mean, it seems like uh, the trends in Cobb County are pretty strong, but the only hope Republicans have at this point is to start to diversify yeah. and to start to, if not open their tent intellectually um, and politically, then at the very least start to champion people who don't look exactly like all the other white men who are already there. And somebody in Joyette Holmes, just a really lovely, very well-respected woman. Um, and for these to be the two appointments that he comes out with, that the govern that Governor Kemp comes out with, I think is a sign that he um, at least has the ability to start to broaden out his aperture from the legislative session, which was just an unbelievably conservative, hard-charging moment to start yeah. to... Uh, uh, live up to the promises he made in his primary campaign. So, Eric, as someone who I, th I think I'm right to say that you are one of the Republicans who would like to see the party more diversified, a bigger tent. Absolutely. What do you do next? <clears throat> I think, if, you know, he, he's off to a good start with these appointments. So I, if, he, if this is the way he's going to approach government and how he's going to fill uh, the appointments he gets to make, I think he's, he's off to a, a good start. And I think we need to continue... Um, to diversify our party, as as you said, one thing I would I would encourage him uh, to do is to let these appointments speak for themselves, because obviously we've already talked about John King, and 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 I'd be interested how he how he reacts to what whatever legislature comes up at the state capitol. Yeah, because you know some it's going to happen, and, at and some he point. will and he will have to answer <laughs> to his own voters, yeah. not the voters, not the same voters that Brian Kemp will answer to, and then in Cobb County, of course, you've got. Uh, uh, also on the Republican ticket in Cobb County is going to be Neil Warren, who, whom we mentioned, Cobb County Sheriff. He's running for yet another one. He's already uh, he's already re-upped the county with 287G, which is uh, allows uh, allows uh, cooperation with ICE. That's a big deal, and I and I'm not sure that that Joy at Holmes would echo that sentiment. Yeah. Interesting times to be a Republican in the state of Georgia, Mr. It, Tannenblatt. It, 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 it sure is, but it's a good time when you have someone at the helm like Brian Kemp has demonstrated this week. All right. Um, let's move on. Uh, the, um, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, has now recorded a video with a state rep who's promoting a new piece of legislation, Patricia, that would offer a tax break Specific, they already give tax credits to production companies who decide to work in California. But this is a new idea. This is, if you're doing, if you're shooting in Georgia and you bring a production back home, as they will call it, uh, we're going to give you an additional tax credit. Let's just listen to a little of what Governor uh, Newsom says in this video, and then I'll ask you to start the conversation. The fact is, California uh, has very different values. We believe in the fundamental right of a woman to decide uh, her fate and future as it relates to her reproductive health. And in turn, uh, we also think it's right that we remind folks, particularly in the entertainment industry, mm -hmm. that number one, you matter, we care, uh, and we want you back in this state. For those of you that have left to do production uh, in states like Georgia, uh, consider uh, the investment there uh, what it's promoting. So to the industry, if you had any hesitation, feeling guilty about leaving your state, 
leaving your families that are back in the state and having to travel back and forth, this is your opportunity. Come back home. We're going to do more. We're going to done a lot on tax credits. We can do more in terms of permitting. We can do more to embrace the industry. We recognize we've got to step up our efforts as well. The, uh, the state legislator, we should uh, point out, is Luz uh, Rivas, mm -hmm. uh, who's pushing this legislation. What do we make of all this? Well, Gavin Newsom is a clever man. Oh, I mean, sure, yeah. and he's not a man without <laughs> national ambitions. So for him, this is a way to kill two birds with one stone, get his name out there. Uh, nationally, he's for women's right to choose. He's reiterating that. He's also, I think, making a really bona fide attempt at bringing some business back to the state that has been getting siphoned off as other states uh, offer these wild tax incentives to Hollywood productions and California taxes have been going up and up. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a really important reminder to Governor Kemp that when when uh, the political climate changes for the worse in Georgia when it comes to attracting um, Hollywood studios, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not like these productions don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah. And Governor Deal spent so much time and effort wooing this industry, passing these tax breaks, making it a place where somebody from L.A. wouldn't mind spending some time in, in the middle <laughs> of Georgia. I in promise August. they don't want to be here. I talked to a bunch <laughs> of actors who have no interest in shooting outside of Atlanta instead of their home in L.A., but they're here because the production is here because the tax breaks are basically free money. Yeah. And so you can't just maraud around the political climate of the state and expect businesses not to respond. You know what else I noticed, Melita, about the Gavin Newsom video? It was warm. It treated the industry people with respect and dignity. It appealed to their values, as opposed, unfortunately, to at least the opening salvo post uh, the passage of the abortion law from Brian Kemp, which was, oh, it's all C-list celebrities. Yes. Very different tone. Very different tone. I, I would imagine that C-list celebrity statement would be something he wishes he'd never said. Yeah, I'll bet that's right. I'll bet that's right. Um, but I, I think you also, as you were pointing out, some of the people calling for boycotts are calling for them on high ground morally, but really what they want is to be back home in California near their children. So you, you have a lot of competing industries. You know, even, even the unions, they have union members in L.A. who want their old jobs back in California, and you have the union members in Georgia who have built an industry here. So even, even the unions have the competition between the East Coast and West Coast factions of their membership. But I, I think we really, I would think that even some Republicans might want to slip a check to the ACLU and go ahead and get that lawsuit filed so that the courts decide on whether the law is to be set aside so that it lifts the cloud that is over the state right now waiting for a court decision on an ACLU lawsuit that hasn't yet been filed. Eric, want to weigh in? Well, I, I, look, I think Gavin Newsom is the governor of California. Part of his job is to try and recruit industry to California. California has lost so many businesses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so he's taking advantage of a political situation. Just like, quite honestly, Governor Purdue and Governor Deal, as they put in place these tax credits for the film industry, took advantage of the escalating taxes, the overburdensome regulation in California, and attracted all the Hollywood, uh, you know, productions to to Georgia. So, I mean, he's doing what, you know, he needs to do, what he was elected to do. But he's to do. doing but it well, isn't he? 
At I, least I, I, don't, I don't necessarily no? look because if he really was going to do it well, and he needs to cut the regulation and taxes, forget the tax credits for film. It is really expensive to do business in California. Businesses even above and beyond the film industry are leaving California because of how hard it is to do business. And, 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 it, and it's a, important to note that, that that legislation in California is still in transit. It's not yeah, anywhere it's, close to passing. Oh, absolutely. And it gets, once it gets to the California Assembly, there are going to be great questions, as there were in Georgia, about whether or not we want another big giveaway in California any more than a lot of people wanted it here. Right. But, but I still think, I mean, I mean we, had, we had this week, we had the strangeness. Of of Stacey Abrams going to L.A. Yeah. Yes. To to try to help preserve a uh, a initiative that was Republican born, as you said, Sonny Perdue and Nathan Deal, uh, and and that that just strikes me as as so strange. She's invited out there by a former president of CBS, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, who says, please come? I'll bring together a group of industry executives. We want to hear from you about this. I've got to say, and I really mean this with no disrespect because I think Stacey Abrams plays an important role as a spokesperson for her causes. It's like this government in exile situation. But, but, where but she's, filling a, she's, she's filling a vacancy left by Governor Kemp. I, I understand. Yeah, but it's, it's as if she's kind of our alternate governor. Well, but it's also, it's, she, she's still playing, she's playing politics. Of course I would she is. Ask, well, sure she is. Yes, I mean, I would imagine that this former president of CBS, it wouldn't surprise me if you found out that, you know, she was a donor to Stacey Abrams. I mean, everything Stacey is doing right now is all calculated and it's all political. And people see through that. The only well, reason a Georgia politician goes to Los Angeles is to raise money or to meet people yeah, from whom you can yeah, raise money in right, the future. I right. don't know any of her specific fundraising plans, but well, and, and that's and look, what and, a trip to L.A. really message, is about. Her message was very upfront. Yeah. Give us a few years. Yeah. A few years means two and a half. 2022, I think, yeah. was in, yeah. your, yeah. Was in right, Greg's right. story. Right. And, well. and, but, 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 but she's saying, cut us that slack, support us, and let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and Brian Kemp canceled his California trip knowing that protests were planned and knowing that where those protests would have taken place in front of his hotel is a tight, compact space, and even if there had only been a few protesters, it would have looked like a mob. So yeah. he, he, he didn't want yeah. to go out there and face the music of his actions. I'm not sure he had a message quite yet, is the other question. Well, uh, you know. I mean, where do you go from your all C-list Yeah, that's, fools, that's it. I, we are going to watch. It is going to be interesting. In a way, Melita, you made an interesting point. Maybe he wishes he hadn't made the C-list comment. So there has to be a reset here, doesn't there, Eric? Well, he went immediately out to Pinewood Studios and demonstrated that, you know, he's committed to the tax credits not, and not, he's committed to the... No, there were a lot no, of things about studio. that visit. He that, went to the Film Academy funded by the state. He never actually set foot on a sound, sound yeah. stage or met with the executives of Pinewood who have made the major investment of building that facility. He has met with people from the film industry, and I don't think there should be any doubt in anyone's mind that he is not committed to sustaining those film tax credits. All right, I gotta get to a break. The final word on this, Jim, is that one of the things that becomes even more apparent as this debate goes on, and we know we're gonna be talking about it for months and months to come, is that despite the, the philosophical uh, and moral uh, conflict here, Hollywood executives, Los Angeles executives have spent 
tons of money on infrastructure that now exists in the state of Georgia and that even if their consciences tell them we got to get out, they're going to have a hard time extracting themselves from. Pinewood Studio, there's a direct connection to the Cathy family. Right. Yeah. And That's it's exactly and, right. as and, in Truett Cathy, as in Truett Cathy with Chick Fil A, <laughs> a very big Republican donor. There is huge Republican money invested in the Georgia movie industry. All right. Well, as I said, we're going to watch this unfold for months to come. I remind people, Jim, that we were in Cartersville. We polled the audience. We said, "Are you tired of hearing us talk about uh, the implications of the abortion law?" And the entire audience said, "No, keep talking about it. It's important." So we will. Uh, let's do this. Let's get a break in and we'll come back with a lot more on Political Rewind. Jim Galloway, uh, let's continue talking about the aftermath, the fallout from HB 481. You uh, posted a column on uh, AJC.com just this, right about noon, I think, mm -hmm. today. The headline is, A Purified Debate Over Abortion Makes Its Debut in Gwinnett County. What's it about? Okay, well, last week we had we had all the presidential, Democratic presidential candidates in, in town. Joe Biden made his news by saying he was going to back away from uh, from the from the Hyde Amendment, mm. uh, and uh, which which bans federal uh, funding for abortion. So we know the middle <coughs> ground is uh, disappearing on that side, but the middle ground is also disappearing on the Republican side because what you what you had on on this was on Thursday. Uh, you had a, a, a meeting at the Gwinnett County GOP. Gwinnett is a, a rapidly changing county. It's like Cobb. It is going it is going blue right now. This was a take back meeting, and they decided they were going to take back Gwinnett County uh, by putting at the center of their policy House Bill 481, the heartbeat, the, the anti-abortion heartbeat bill. They, they, they said they were going to back only candidates who supported it. If you are a Republican you're, and you were a little squishy on that, well, then tough luck. Go go someplace else. It's a it's a uh, it is a when it, whenever you you have two choices as a party to broaden your tent or to or as as we were talking earlier about Brian Kemp doing or you can narrow and intensify right. that base. This is a binary choice, and so now we've got uh, a, a a pack. I think they're a pack. Well, they're, they? it's, it's, I would call them. Right. I would call an it, interest group. An interest group. They're a, a conservative Christian in, interest group uh, uh, associated with focus on the family. And they've decided they're going to go after every legislator in Gwinnett County, Melita, who voted for 481. And now we're going into your territory. I don't we mean are. Gwinnett County. We, I'm well, talking about getting they, Democrats. They had earlier <laughs> in the year announced a list of 12 targeted seats. 
And surprisingly, one person on that list, well, there are two Republicans, but one was a woman, and right. Silcox, mm -hmm. um, in Sandy Springs. But they have five win-list endorsed women on their list of 12. They also have House Minority Leader Bob Trammell on mm -hmm. their list of 12. They so, have the House Appropriations Chairman Butch Parrish. Yeah. On that list. list. A Republican. Yes. A Republican. And they're, and they're trying to raise um, a match grant between now and the end of June 20th for about $170,000. So they, and they, their website shows um, that, that they endorsed all of the statewide men. There, there is, of all their endorsed people, there is only one, they're all white, there is one white woman. The rest are all what I call the pale male patriarchs, um, <laughs> stale, pale, male patriarchs <laughs> of the Republican Party. Melita Easter, the rapper. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, I, I, I've never tried rap, yeah. but it would be fun. All right, so uh, Patricia, I mean, what, you know, we've talked about this before. For all of the people who are energized to go out and vote against those people who supported 481, you're going to have uh, efforts like this to energize the pro-481 forces. Yeah, and I think an effort to energize the pro-481 forces in a county unlike Gwinnett County might be a smart move. But to double down on 481 in Gwinnett County that just voted for a presidential Democratic candidate in Hillary Clinton that is trending less white and younger yes. every day and is full of highly educated women who even might consider themselves Republican but are being forced at this point to choose in their words either you're with us or you're against us and I think in this they could be forcing a realignment of the Republican Party among women that women weren't even looking for they well, didn't even want to switch parties but if this is your choice or whether it's or you're against us six weeks abortion is illegal and you may not even know you're pregnant that's a really significant uh, red line to draw for women, even who may consi consider themselves Republicans. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting that Beth um, Moore, a uh, Democratic woman legislator from Peachtree Corners, gave one of the most moving House speeches opposing 481, and her speech was entirely based on religious and conviction. And, and so in, in going, in, in drawing the line in the way that they're trying to draw the line, they're also drawing a line within the big tent of Christianity because not everyone who goes to church on Sunday is in favor of that bill. So Eric, I'm, let me pick up on what Patricia said. Patricia essentially said that this Christian uh, organization that's gonna come in and target uh, Democrats who voted against 481 is in fact doing the work for Democrats by reminding women, particularly up there, about the pro-life uh, 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 forces that have put this, you know, have made this bill a law. Well, look, I think this is a this is a interest group, and this is a group they have every right to have their opinion. They're not the Republican Party, and there are plenty of people in the Republican Party that feel differently than this group. And, you know, I happen to have Deborah Silcox as my state representative. 
I was proud of the way she voted and her constituents were proud of the way she voted. And so it's going to be up to the constituents of the individual members to support their representatives if they agree with them. And I don't think just because you have one group that is going out and doing this that you need to blanket the whole Republican Party because I don't believe that that represents all of the Republican Party. No, but but this was this was an event held in the headquarters of the Gwinnett GOP. Uh, one of the primary speakers was was Ed Muldrow, who is the newly elected chairman of it, and and pretty much every officer of the Gwinnett GOP was speaking at that event. I want to, but the Gwinnett GOP is, is not it, the Georgia exactly, GOP. Exactly. Yes, it is. Hmm. I want to read a quick quote that you y'all had in in the uh, piece on this uh, that you wrote, uh, Lisa Noel Babbage. Can I read the quote for yes. you? Mm -hmm. She's the local party. She's the GOP treasurer in Gwinnett. You say she linked abortion not just to race. She raised did she's uh, linked it to race. She's, she's, she's black, mm -hmm. but also to illegal immigration. Here's the quote: Now we have no choice but to contend with those who are coming from other countries because our population is dwindling, and now we have a huddled mass of immigrants that are illegally coming to our back door. But guess what Lady Liberty says? Those huddled masses yearning to breathe free—they're in the wombs of American women. That struck me as a bizarre linking of two two hot button issues that are very disparate this is look the, 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 and this is part of the the kind of the, the the republican dilemma right now they're trying to they're they they're demographically challenged they're trying to bring in new people and you've got some new thinking going on, going on there. That's 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 a connection that I had not heard anybody in the in, in the pro life movement. I, make. I know Patricia wants to jump in, but before you do, Patricia, I saw Tannenblatt grimace when I made that comment about yeah. that quote. Well, look, I mean, th there's no doubt that this is a very uh, polarizing. People are very passionate uh, of on this particular issue, and I think you know some comments. Uh, some would say that those are. Uh, naive or ignorant. Inappropriate or something. Or, well, or <laughs> but everyone has their right to their, their own opinion. Uh, my, my view on all of this is that, you know, it, we, we need to, the Republican Party, if they want to remain, maintain the majority status in the state, needs to recognize that they have to be uh, a broad party that is open to people with different opinions. Patricia? I, well, I think uh, the one counterthought I would offer is that with Renee Unterman as a declared candidate in that 7th district, really what choice do they have at this point, except especially Unterman is going to stand behind that bill. Yeah. She, I think, is well positioned to win that nomination, possibly. Um, and then what do they say at that point? So when you have one of your highest profile candidates as the lead on the bill, where do you go from there? Although it is interesting that um, in her announcement speech, she never mentioned that she was the leader of the Senate effort to pass the bill. Now, I think Patricia's probably right. It's going to, she will start bringing it into well, her speeches. Uh, but amongst her diehard followers, she doesn't need to mention that bill. Ah, uh, okay. And, and she is at least smart and savvy enough to know that. And Renee had a huge campaign, um, campaign account. So it's going to be very interesting in her shift from state-based candidate to federal candidate, what happens to all those hundreds of thousands of dollars which were in her campaign account for the state races because she can't make a direct federal account transfer. So it'll be very interesting to watch what happens to that money and where it goes, right. perhaps to a group like the one which had the press conference. I apologize for interrupting. I've got to get to our final break of the show. We've got a lot more to talk about when we come back. This is Political Rewind.
Headed to the beach or mountains or enjoying a staycation this summer? On Science Friday, we've got the best science books to keep you company this season. Plus, a look at how chronic wasting disease is affecting wildlife in the West and the efforts to fight it. All on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Science Friday is coming up this afternoon at 3 right here on Central Beach. And I'll show you some lineup of entertainment that is that you can't see from the show at the beach. We uh, have at the table with us today Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the AJC, Melita Easters, the founder and director of the Georgia Winlist, Patricia Murphy, columnist for Roll Call, Daily Beast, and Garden and Gun, and Eric Tannenblatt, not only a Republican insider, but the head of global government affairs, global, for uh, Denton's, the world's largest law firm. Uh, thank you all for being here. Patricia, you had a fascinating column in Roll Call the other day. You, we, 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 there are a lot of us who follow politics closely who have been saying, why do we have 23 Democrats running for president? Any number of these people, if they would only run for U.S. Senate in their own states, they could tip the balance to the Democrats. But you make a different point about what some of them ought to do. Well, I do think that some of them should run for Senate, but I think many of them should run for their state Senate. Why? Because that's where the action is. That's where the decisions are being made. All of the decisions, or many of the decisions, that used to be Washington provenance only, climate change, gun legislation, a woman's right to choose. Um, so many of these have been Washington-focused conversations. As Washington has gotten more and more polarized and calcified, all of those decisions are in the state legislatures now. So if you are a lobbying shop, uh, and y'all may, may be finding this as well, uh, the lobbyists have to know their state issues. They have to be watching the state houses. Um, if you are a journalist, you're incre increasingly covering what's happening in the state yeah. houses. The New York Times has covered Alabama more than they've covered Washington in some cases <laughs> because of everything that's happening. The power has been... Not just not really drained from Washington, but if these issues need action and the state legislatures, which are also more polarized uh, as a whole, they are taking the reins. I, I and just, so if you're Beto O'Rourke and you're in a coffee shop in Iowa, like, what are you doing? Go make a difference with your life and get involved in your state legislature where these decisions really are happening. Well, and, and the other the other the other thing of, of the many issues you mentioned, there's one more. And that's redistricting that yes, comes up yes. in 2021. Wow! Yeah. Because if you if you control your state legislature, you control your congressional your own congressional districts, and thus the population of Congress. But nobody wants. You know, I, I make a quick personal observation. I uh, was on the road all the time covering presidential politics, covering the White House and the Hill. You spent a lot of time doing similar things. Um, and there's a certain prestige in, involved in that. You're out there in the yes. big time. But after the Clinton impeachment, I spent most of that year living in Washington, and I came home from that and said, there's nothing going on in Washington that's worth covering anymore. It has become so uh, infested with partisanship that I need to go back and start covering the Georgia legislature again. It's exactly what you're saying, because it's, Eric, in legislatures, 
where creative, in some cases, creative things are being done, certainly crucial issues, as Patricia pointed out, like abortion or redistricting, it, it's really true. I, I completely agree. Uh, however, <laughs> as someone who worked uh, in Congress, as I know you have yes. as well, we got to be realistic. And can you imagine yes. the egos of a former <laughs> congressman, senator, governor running for the state senate? That's what would be so great about it. But of That's course, what? what so but, Melita, but of course, Melita, what Patricia's she's she knows better. What work isn't going to go back and run for the Texas legislature? Her point is bigger, and that is that <laughs> Washington. For a while, we might just throw up our hands and say, "Why bother?" Let's see what's happening in states. Well, I thought her column was very well done, and I think in addition to state legislatures, people need to run for the local school board and the local county commission and municipal races, and they need to think about serving on the quasi-governmental boards like airport authorities and hospital authorities. There's so many ways to serve if you can let go of your ego and find your inner servant leader and, mm. and serve your community in, in a, quote, lesser position, but actually really make a difference. You know, the presidential race is not like an Oprah ep episode where everybody gets a car. You know what? It reminded me of a, of a comment made by former President Bush, 41, and he used to say that democracy is stronger by service. And whether that is serving uh, in government or whether it's AmeriCorps or the Peace Corps or the military, and that is true. And so people should not shy away from running for local office if they're interested in getting involved in or politics. Or if you really want to have an impact. And if you look at something like prescription drug prices, I'll throw that out there. Congress has been talking about yeah. importing drugs from Canada for 20 years, yeah. from way back in the day when I was up there. Um, the Florida legislature with the Republican governor just passed a bill to import drugs from Canada. That will be a model for the rest of the country and that will change people's lives. Another example, and, and we can get Eric to speak to this, but most of the legislation that's being drawn up on autonomous vehicles is that's happening right. in state <laughs> legislatures. You're, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. 30 state legislatures have passed laws to regulate autonomous vehicles, and the federal government has been silent. We should point out, and then we're going to move, this is one of your great passions, is That's talking right. about autonomous vehicles, and you don't have clients who are involved in this business. No, our, our, we, we oh. do have an autonomous vehicle practice, oh, and okay. I've become a student <laughs> in a autonomous. Are we talking about scooters? No, no we're talking no, about driverless no. cars. Oh. But could you do something about scooters? Uh, well, I think that... Run for city council. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think that's the, the millennials love them. They're not going anywhere. Continue. Uh, all right, so now I'm really taking a diversionary path here. But when I saw that Alpharetta and other communities are now outlawing scooters, I th you talk about pale, old, white men. It strikes me we are now at a real clash of cultures <laughs> among young people and old people. I mean, those horseless carriages, Patricia, they're dangerous out there. The horses are shying when they see them. The new horseless carriage is the autonomous vehicle. Well, you know, an interesting, interesting thing about the scooters <laughs> yeah. is about 16 months ago, yeah. they didn't exist. Right. So this has all happened right. within the last year. Right. <laughs> all right. I, okay, that was my fault. I, I apologize. Let's move on. Uh, Galloway, I teased it, so we got to talk about it at least very quickly. We're about to see a new entrant, finally, in the Democratic uh, Senate, U.S. Senate race. It's very possible. Sarah Riggs Amico, Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor last year. She is uh, she is assembling her personnel. She's made a couple, a few uh, uh, Abrams hires, uh, Abig uh, Abigail Cal Calizzo and Karen Feeney. 
So uh, we can expect an, an, her entrance into the race to join Teresa Tomlinson. Yeah, Teresa Tomlinson's been there, Patricia, for months. Now, Teresa was all set to go, waiting for Stacey yes. Abrams to say no, and uh, she jumped in immediately. It's been a, it's. I've been surprised at how long. Uh, Amico has taken to decide to do this, and no one else seems to be ready to jump. Well, I think the entire field was holding for Stacey Abrams' decision, yeah. and so that really did even put, uh, not to go too inside baseball, consultants. It put mm. a lot of people, staff on hold, so you really don't want to announce until you're ready. You're not ready until you've got your team assembled, so I think it did kind of put a little freeze on this, but they've got to get busy. I mean, this is a, a real race. David Perdue is a super tough candidate uh, yeah. to run against, so they need to, I think, get, get it together. Yeah, I think he's going to be very tough to beat. It'll, it'll be a tough race, but I think you'll see if steel magnolia sharpens steel magnolia in the Democratic <laughs> primary. It'll be we'll interesting watch. to see who Stacey Abrams endorses yeah. since Sarah Riggs Amicos was her running mate. Yeah, we'll watch for that uh, and see how that develops. Uh, Jim, we're not going to have as much time as we should on this, but we should at least begin the conversation. We'll take it up at another time. The New York Times published a piece that uh, caught both your eye and mine. Um, we are in a situation we haven't been in more than 100 years. We now have every state save one that is under uh, one-party control. Right, where, Governors, where, where, legislature. Where the legislature, where the state capital is ba basically owned by one party or the other. And it's why we're seeing this, this disparate legislation coming down the pike over, over, over abortion. Alabama has all but outlawed it. Uh, and Illinois, I think this week, uh, passed, uh, reaffirmed a woman's right to, uh, to choose. Uh, uh, New York has done similar, uh, acted similarly. It is, uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, we, we were talking just a minute ago about the state legislatures yeah. being more yeah. friendlier place. Well, it's getting a little less friendly. Minnesota, the only state left that has uh, two, party, uh, two parties with, with uh, some control over the state. And Patricia, when you go to air, then you really bring up this whole question that Galloway did a little while ago about reapportionment in 2021. I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that every legislature is thinking not only what am I doing this year, but how, how am I going to keep my job? Um, I think a really interesting legislature to, to look at was the Texas legislature mm. this past year. That's all Republican control, but Republicans lost 12 House seats yeah. and two Senate seats in that legislature. And they had a very business oriented, focused on cutting taxes, improving schools. They did not take up the heartbeat bill. It didn't really get anywhere in that legislature. And that that, there was a quote in the Texas Tribune that said the legislature, there's been a shift in who the legislature fears the most. It's not the primary anymore. It's the general. And it really changed the way that that legislature acted. Melita, your, your, your push, uh, for, as it was in 2018 and will be in 2020, is flipping at least the House, uh, the, yes, Georgia House. the Georgia House. You're not going to be able to flip the Georgia Senate, but you're but thinking it may be possible to take Georgia out of that column of one party complete control. Absolutely. And the thing is that some of the gerrymandered districts have shifted so much population-wise that there are no more voters to gerrymander into making a safe Republican district. And if you look at, at HD 105 in Gwinnett County and you go back to 2016, Joyce Chandler, they protected her by redrawing the lines mid-decade to give her a safe district. She eked out with only 212 votes. She then decided not to run for re-election. The Democrat Donna McLeod took that district with more than 4,000 votes. 
So these demographic shifts are proving very favorable for women candidates. Eric, um, clearly, if you're a Republican, uh, you're somewhat happy to see that, that conservatives presumably have so much control over the agendas of states across the country, including Georgia. Is that the healthiest way for a democracy to operate? Um, no, I mean, I think the competition of ideas is a good thing. The best ideas bubble up to the top. Uh, and I think you need to hear from opposing views. Um, it's going to be interesting having lived through the 80s when, you know, being a Republican, you know, you were, you, you were in a complete, yeah, you could, yeah. complete minority. <laughs> and the Democrats, as we were approaching uh, the end of the decade, did everything they could to, tw to tweak the system with multi-member districts and to hold on to control. And I think that the Republican Party is at a really key point right now where they have to, you know, look at how they can broaden the tent so that when we get to uh, redistricting, uh, we, we, we can alter the districts, but do it in a way where they can still maintain majority control. And Jim, we talk about redistricting in 2021 after the 2020 census, but the census is also going to be something we're going to have to watch very closely. And, and we know we have an important Supreme Court decision coming up on the citizenship question, which we'll talk about in some depth. But how the census turns out will have a huge impact on, on all of this. Right, how the census turns out and, and how state legislators are allowed to apportion those districts. Right. What, what, what statistics they're allowed to use. That's going to yes. be the, the key. And it clearly, whether not only the citizenship question, Patricia, but the question of whether partisan gerrymandering is legal or not, the Supreme Court has that decision ahead as well. Yes, I think the the gerrymandering question is huge. Yeah. But I will I want to recommend the piece that uh, Jim wrote about uh, a gentleman who uh, was involved in the gerrymandering, sort of the history of gerrymandering. He was Tom a Republican. Hoffler. Yes, um, there. He also played a role and why that citizenship question is being asked by the Commerce Department. Yeah. And it yeah. really all comes down to, are we going to count the number of citizens in a state and district, or are we going to count the number of people? And that is the most fundamental question you can really get down to in terms of who you're electing, what do your schools like, what do your communities look like? And so that piece with the history behind it, I found really fascinating. Yeah, it's let's see if we can track that. We're going to try, uh, Robert, Jimison, let's, we should try to post a link to Patricia's column, to this column that we talked about with Jim today, and that column about Hofstadter. He was a Republican consultant. His daughter unearthed his papers after he it's died. strange daughter. Which, yes, yes <laughs> which made it clear that he had recommended to uh, the Republican leadership in Washington that adding a citizenship question would ensure Republican uh, control of districts across the country. So we'll talk about this. Let's do a whole show on this. It's a great, a great subject for us. All right. We're completely out of time. Uh, Melita Easters, Eric Tannenblatt, Patricia Murphy, Jim Galloway, thank you all for uh, being here today. And thank you all for being with us for Political Rewind for another week. One quick note, Monday at two, we're gonna do a very different kind of show. We're gonna focus on basically a single area of interest. Jim and I will be talking about advances and the work remaining to be done in terms of legislation and the culture around it uh, in the LGBTQ community. We'll have some leaders of that community here. I'm really looking forward to digging down on that one, Jim. And then there's uh, there's a lot of bipartisanship yeah, involved. Yeah, that's the other thing. Lots of bipartisanship, surprisingly enough. That's it for us today. I'm Bill Nygut. See you again Monday at 2.